What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Don't miss your free chance to tune into Benzinga's very own bootcamp series on November 20th. If you're looking to dive into new concepts and grow your account, this one's for you. What is up, everybody? Happy Monday. Happy Power Hour. We got Spencer Israel back in the office, back from his COVID-19 hiatus. Spencer, how you feeling? I I feel amazing. And as if to celebrate my reemergence, we have, as you can see, AB. What's up, man? I'm thankful for a lot of things today, Spencer. Uh, Regeneron, <laughs> one of them, for, for bringing you back in the office. Um, <laughs> we, we've got a packed show today, Spencer. So so to start off, we've got Ross Gerber from, from Gerber Kawasaki. We're going to be talking some Tesla, Roblox, uh, his ETF, and, and more. And then after that, we've got man, Matt Hammond to talk some IPOs, um, Jake from TrendSpider to talk some charts, and then after that, Spencer, we've got... Wait, wait, wait. wait. You, you skipped Rick Eisworth from Alamera Sciences. Oh, my God. It's such a packed day. I can't even keep it all straight. Then Jake. Then Chris Capri. We got a lot going on. We got two hours. Let's get our first guest on, AB. Bear Destroyer. We were talking before the show. Bear Destroyer. Ross Gerber. Before We're going to go and bring him on. Let's play our little graphic, Spencer, and we'll get Ross on here. Ross I Gerber is the hey. co-founder and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki. Ross, how's your week off? off to I mean, out? can you ask for a better Monday morning? Other than my kid, like, hurt his toe, and he's, like, screaming. And I was like – and then somebody starts texting me, Tesla, like, pre-market, you know, like, at 5 in the morning. People start texting me, like, holy shit. And I was like, what uh, – my first thought is what did they do wrong? You know, like, cause like I'm still scarred from like 2018 and, and the, like the bashing that I took in 2018 on Tesla. And, and so like, it's when it's good news and it's up 62 points right now. And, and I'm making my clients like millions and millions of dollars. It, it literally is what drives me to do what I do every day is these successes, especially for our clients. And now we have a public vehicle, we have an ETF. So all of you get the benefit too. So if you're a GK shareholder, it's a phenomenal day destroying the market. Uh, you know, I've wanted to make money for the public. You know, I've worked for clients directly, but I've never had an ETF where everything was public. All my trades are public, uh, all our holdings and, and the general public can just buy it GK. And so it's kind of a scary thing to, to be out there, you know, so naked. Um, so I'm happy to have this success. Really grateful. Yeah, so, so Ross, we actually had you on the day that GK opened for trading. So what's yeah. kind of been the, uh, you know, like time, how, how's that going so far? What have been kind of the uh, ups and downs of that? Well, first, I've already shifted my thinking like once or twice <laughs> since I started the ETF because of COVID, you know. So, so like my thought process when I started the ETF was like reopening plays and all this kind of stuff. And then Delta came around and then I was like, oh, you know, so... So then, you know, when we beat Delta and we sort of like figured out, you know, hey, maybe the reopening play, then we made some more shifts. Then we shifted more into clean energy technology. So being an active ETF, I was more active than I thought I'd have to be in the first three or four months we've been around. But those shifts have been really profitable for our shareholders. So I think our, we're starting to prove the value of active management versus passive 
um, because we've made some shifts and some trades that have worked out very well for, for clients, including adding to our Tesla position just recently, um, which has paid off and as well as going, you know, all in sort of on MGM, which has paid off nicely, Blackstone, IPR. So if you buy our fund, we have very diversified holdings, but many of which are just doing very well right now as companies and as stocks. Since you brought up Tesla, let's go there. Uh, Ross, what has gotten into Tesla here? I mean, we know this stock is capable of doing these kinds of making these kinds of moves, but I mean, what do you make of this latest one? 973 now. Well, Tesla's earnings were great. And so Tesla has a lot of things going for it right now. You know, when there's no cars to buy, first of all, you just have a, a, a lack of supply of your, of your product and you're able to make cars while the other companies, like I think Ford reports this week and they're expecting a big decline in earnings. So in a time where there's unlimited demand for cars, Ford can't make cars in scale for some reason, supply chain issues, whatever excuse they want to make Tesla is, and they're selling them all. So that's, the first thing is that they're executing in a very, very difficult environment and shows the flexibility and management and their ability to adapt, as well as manufacture and design their own chips. Not manufacture, but design their own chips and use outsourcing to manufacture them has been incredibly uh, beneficial being a chip company, being a tech company versus being just an auto manufacturer has to call everybody for help. Um, and then what we're now seeing is this like, I think this like catalyzing of Tesla as a global brand on the scale of GM or Volkswagen, where anywhere you go in the world, people want a Tesla now. And and soon you'll be able to buy a, a originally made Tesla in Europe, China, or the United States. We've seen a huge arbitrage between the cost of production in China and the efficiency of the supply chains, especially for battery tech, through China into selling through to Europe and getting that currency change hugely profitable for Tesla, bigger margins than ever. They've just recently raised prices on their cars here in the US, just 100% margin because just of demand. And now Hertz comes out and says, we want 100,000 cars and the future of car rentals is clearly with Tesla. And the future of ride sharing is clearly with Tesla. I expect to see Uber doing a deal with Tesla at some point soon. So this is just the beginning, kids. Just the beginning of a well, long decade of money making. So, so what? So what do you say, Ross, to the Tesla bears out there? Maybe anyone watching this that might, you know, maybe they don't have any open short positions on Tesla, but they might be thinking about it. Like, oh, I might buy some puts today. Tesla's up seven percent. What do you say to them? Look at me. I say to look at me. I've killed more Tesla bears than anybody. I've massacred them, cut their heads off, left them on stakes. You know, you're gonna go and you're gonna mess with me again. Who wants to die? Gordon Johnson, Einhorn, Burry. They're all in the dustbin of Tesla bearhood. So why would you bet against this company? I'm telling you, it's a horrible idea. It's a stupid and horrible idea. You could go short so many bad companies right now. Why would you short the best one? So, so just don't do it. Uh, Enver, if you're watching this, can we get a Photoshop of Ross's face on uh, Leo DiCaprio? <laughs> the Conan we sword. I, I have like the Conan sword. Do not mess with my sword. I will cut your head off. I was going to say you know, Leo like from uh, brought it out from the Revenant in that movie when, when Leo DiCaprio has to fight a bear. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got... Uh, that didn't work out so good for DiCaprio, though. No. Um, no. Who else is out there? Yeah, Jim Chanos. Maybe next time we'll get, we'll get you and Jim. We'll get you and uh, Chanos on at the same time, and you guys can duke it out. Chanos isn't going near me. He wouldn't go near me. <laughs> 
Russ, Russ, what what about the argument that you know the, the the chips that Tesla is sourcing are not chips that the other automakers would themselves use? They're well, just using I mean, lower the chips quality. That Tesla short are like the dumb little chips that everybody uses, like Bluetooth chips and things for the doors. It's not like major chips. They're short. They make like they make the main chips themselves. Basically, they don't manufacture them, but they design and make them themselves. So they're unique chips just to Tesla, what Tesla uses in their supercomputers. The chips that people are missing are these stupid little chips, like things that doesn't make a lot of sense, but holds up the whole production line. So all the car companies are facing, like depending how many Bluetooth chips you use or how many chips you use for basic sensors and things like that, that's what's really the tough thing in the supply chain right now. So Tesla has the same issues. They're just much more adaptable. Can, so, can you at least, go ahead, A.B., no, go. You go ahead, Spencer. Okay, you know, I I would love they like Ross. Cars. Ross, can can you like at least maybe acknowledge a little bit that like the run that Tesla's had in the last two days is maybe you know a little bit too much, too fast. Is that no. fair to say? No? no, it's not fair to say. I I'll can't you get why. you to say that. No, no, not at all. I'll tell you why. No. Because please, what my expectations were for Tesla. Okay, my numbers for Tesla are way lower than the numbers they just put up, okay? My expectations for AI, like, so now I got full self-drive beta. It's been widely reported. I'm the worst driving score to ever get full self-drive beta. But really what the what they're not reporting is my, my driving score is not accurate to my immense skill level at driving, which is beyond belief. And okay. some now consider me one of the world's best EV drivers. Now, I'm obviously, I'm kidding here with all this, but I'm trying to sound serious, so it's funny. That being said, um, full self-driving is one of the most incredible, um, monumental pieces of software created since Windows. I started saying this, like, like mapping every street, learning how to drive is super hard. It's just super hard. So I have full self-driving because my drive is the super hardest drive in America today to get from my house to my office. Even the small four miles you could die over and over again, just from crazy driving and all the crazy stuff that happens in LA. And so right now, full self-driving is like a 16-year-old driver. It's, it, it needs a lot of work, but it learns. And it's it's uncanny watching it learn. It's like, it's it's insane. Like the car is learning, like you're teaching your kid. And in a couple of years, it's not going to be short-term. It's going to be like a year or two, I think two. This will drive all around the country. No problem. And right now it can drive easy drives. No problem. So when you put in the complexity of what I'm trying to get it to drive, when it can master that, it's mastered full self-driving. And when you master full self-driving, you've mastered AI. And if you've mastered AI. But, but, but I mean, we have, we have been talking about full self-drive now for forever. a while. A it's while. way harder than Elon thought. It's way harder. And it still needs a lot to work. But when you see where it's at and where it's going, see, one of the things I've learned because I'm old now is many of the things I think take more time, but time goes on, you know, like time goes on. So you might want it in two years. Maybe it takes three, but it, three years comes quick. My kid's nine now, you know, like I was reminiscing about when he was born and we were watching Bon Iver on stage at Coachella in 2012. I was just reminiscing about it. It was the other day and Tesla wasn't even a company then. 
Okay. So when you think about Tesla, wasn't even a company when I was sitting with my wife, when she was pregnant with my son, watching Bon Iver 2012 Coachella on main stage it was an amazing night. I was, I was so lucky to get on main stage and like, and now Tesla's a trillion dollar company and it didn't really exist much when I was at that concert, which I remember clear as day. What's two or three years. Okay, uh, Russ, I'm looking at the holdings of, of the Gerber Kawasaki ETF, ticker GK. You've, of course, Tesla is your number one holding. You've got names like NVIDIA, Microsoft. Right. Uh, you got the Global X Lithium like ETF, you. IPR, yeah. Blackstone. Uh, you get the point. Um, pick one. Sell us on one of those names right now. Could be uh, any you know of what them. I'm going to I'm going to pick something that most people don't talk about. Yes, please. Okay. So how about Blackstone? Okay. Oh, I love so, pri- yes, private equity laid on me. It's not just private equity because it's also like real estate. It, it's become such a deeper company funds and making high fees. And then they take their high fees and then they just transfer it to shareholders. So Blackstone distributes a hundred percent of their profits to its owners and the president of the company and all the management own the company and the majority of their comp comes from those dividends. So when you buy Blackstone stock, it's the same as being Steve Schwartzman. You know, like you get the same pay he gets. Well, it turns out he makes more money than anybody on earth. I think like it's 250 million a year just in dividends, you know, like crazy. So, so you know you're getting a pure payout. Now, secondly, in my business, in the wealth management business, you see all these schmoes who work with people at like UBS and Merrill Lynch, and they buy all these private equity and high fee products from Blackstone from their brokers. And why not collect the fees from these people? They're quite high, you know? And so it's kind of fun owning something where all the rich people are kind of makes you feel good. You know, why not collect a fee? Thirdly, they own most of Vegas now. So what Blackstone's quietly done is they've bought up every casino in Vegas. And now my other company, MGM, is running them all. And they just sold the Cosmo. So they started this partnership. Now, we also own this partnership called uh, MGM Growth Properties, which just got bought by VICI Properties, which also has deals with Blackstone. So between Blackstone now and VICI Properties, they've divided up the entire gambling business in Vegas. They own everything. Now private equity, they're doing deals all over Hollywood, right? So they bought uh, Hello Sunshine from uh, Reese Witherspoon, one of the greatest companies mm-hmm. yeah. to buy. Now they bought this hypnosis music with this guy who's been buying up all the music rights. Now this guy's real smart. He's in based out of London and he's been buying the catalog, Stevie Nicks, these kind of people. And they gave him a billion dollars to buy music rights. Real smart. You know, they bought all this studio property. They bought logistics centers. Did, I haven't Black, seen them do anything did, dumb. Didn't, didn't, didn't Blackstone just buy Spanx like last week? Yes, they bought Spanx last week. Yeah. I have never seen them do something dumb. The new guy kind of, so they're turning over the business from the old guys to the guys my age. And so like the new guy running the company kind of is like my age. And they're just so sharp. They were like groomed by the founders. The succession plan's amazing. And they're just killing it. Just killing it. So we keep adding to our Blackstone position. Love the stock. Love the distributions. Uh, love management. Love the assets. Love the diversification. And, and they monetize those assets often. Like Bumble, they sold 20 million shares this last quarter. So the dividends doubled this quarter over last uh, quarter because of things like the Bumble you know, success and things like that. 
That's yeah, why I, I just had the chart up on the screen. You know, these private equity stocks, whether it's Blackstone or Apollo, Carlisle, right. they're not like they're not the sexiest names out there. They don't get no. talked about a lot, but you can see from the chart. I mean, Blackstone has been a monster. Yeah, I'm um, not in the sex business. I'm in the money making business. You that's know? fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So, Ross, uh, I don't Ross, care. I don't care what, you know, as long as it's not an oil company or something like, I, you know, it's like if it's a great company, it's a great company. Yeah. I, 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 Spencer here knows more about ETFs than I do. Um, but I know there's some, I guess, like kind of volatile names in, in the fund between Tesla, Roblox, right. uh, Coinbase. How, how come it seems like the ETF itself isn't as volatile as some of these holdings? No, that's exactly the goal is what you brought up. So, so we have nine completely distinct sectors within our ETF that don't necessarily correlate. And so by focusing on nine specific sectors that we feel have the most potential growth over the next decade, um, it creates diversification. That's why I brought up Blackstone, because we have a real estate allocation. So we're over allocated, let's say, to real estate versus the indexes and such. So if you buy an ARC, you're, you're in the most volatile, right? You have a two beta, you know what I mean? And so I don't want a two beta on my fund. This is a growth fund that's supposed to be consistent. That's how I manage money. And that's what I've been successful doing my whole career is growth, but consistent returns, not as much volatility. Clients hate volatility, to be honest. And I work with clients, so I know, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, when you have 8,000 clients and your portfolios are jumping around like crazy, they call you all the time. So the goal is how do we make the ride smoother? So real estate is, is one of the areas. So we have REITs, for example, like uh, Prologis, wonderful company. Blackstone, heavily invested in real estate. Lennar is one of our top holdings, trades at a 7 PE. I almost, I almost brought up Lennar because it's so ridiculously cheap. The problem Lennar has is just supply chain issues. But, but from the home building perspective, this stock is ridiculously cheap and super, super good at what they do. Find me a stock with a 7 PE. You know, and then we have things like healthcare. So we have a position in uh, biotech, like with Moderna uh, and Fulgent and TMO. So that adds volatility. And then we'll offset that with like our blue chip tech portfolio of Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. So like we'll take one side that adds volatility and then another side, like our pet investments in, in Petco, which I'm super aggressively buying right now, and Zoetis and Chewy. And those stocks or Nike or our top consumer brands like Nike and Starbucks don't really trade the same as, let's say, tech and uh, climate change. Got so it. So, yeah, essentially you're saying if Tesla and Roblox are down one day, then you have other holdings in the fund. Right. They'll probably be up that day. Um, so, yeah, yeah, probably. That, I, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah that, can't that's say some idea. things. Remember, in my business, we can't promise people. Hopefully. Yeah. That's what hopefully. we're yeah, I, I, ideally. Ross Gerber is the co-founder and the CEO of Gerber Kawasaki. They've got the Gerber Kawasaki ETF ticker is G, uh, GK. Um, the biggest, the, the biggest testable. This side of Jason Rasnick. Uh, Ross, always a pleasure, Chapman. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Thanks today. for having me, guys. Love the show. Right. Keep it up, and I'm glad you're doing better. Thank, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank man. you. Take care of yourself. All right, all right. Uh, Hey, it's always fun to talk to Ross. The guy, the guy, the guy's a blast. Um, so we it, thank you for coming it's on. It's rare, Spencer. You get a guy that's fun, but also knows what he's talking about. You know, sometimes you know we get these guys who know what they're talking about. They're not fun. They're not a good time. But Ross is both. So we appreciate him coming on the show always. And and, it's a perfect and day he's to a have lightning. On. And he's a lightning rod. People love Ross or they hate Ross. There's really no. Well, look, he's bringing that much energy. And for us, Spencer, look, it's it's 20 minutes afternoon. 
for him, it's like nine thirty in the morning out in California. It's true. It's true. I always, I always give everyone credit. Everyone who joins all of our shows from the West Coast, man. Whether like whether you're joining like a pre-rocker prep at eight a.m. and it's five a.m. your time or later, the, always give them credit, man. It, it, it's tough. It's tough to to work in finance from the West Coast. It ain't yeah, easy. I'm still, I'm still getting out of bed at nine thirty most mornings. I, I, don't I know it, man? Don't I know it? Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, it's twelve twenty-two. We're gonna have Matt Hammond on in a sec. Before we bring Matt on, let's do a quick crypto update though, because I want to look at the. Let's make this a little bigger on my screen. Hey, look what I see. Green across the board. Hallelujah, AB. Bitcoin up almost 6%. Ethereum up 5.5%. Solano, hey now, up 14% today. You love to see it, AB. You love to see it. Yeah, I mean, it, so much for a heat map. It's just all green. Which is just <laughs> it's not even... It's you're right. You're right. Well, yeah, it, it, it's a green map. Um, so um, I'm not going to pretend to know why the crypto market goes up or goes down. I, I, I thought I saw a headline today. of Gensler said something. Also, I'm 99% sure there's a new um, national digital currency launching today uh, in some country in Europe that escapes me right now. But um, whoa. Was that me or you? Or was, was that neither of us? <laughs> that was Rohan. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just had a commercial playing in my ear. I I, I hope no one heard that. Oh, nice. Um, well, I was like going to say, you know that. the quote, yours is not to wonder why. Sorry. Finish. Sorry. <laughs> Can you finish it? It's, it's from a poem. I don't know. Yours you is not you don't even why. know the, the rest of the quote that you started? Yours is not to wonder why. Yours is but to do or die. Um, all right. I, I've never heard that before. All right. Come on. Chad, help me out. That's a big, that's a common thing. I, right? I, I have never, I, I swear I have never heard that before. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, while we're on the topic of crypto, did you know you could get $50 in Bitcoin for free? F R E E. All you have to do is download the Voyager app. Use the offer code Zing, Z I N G, fund your account with a hundred bucks and make your first trade. And they will give you Fifty dollars in Bitcoin for free at Voyager. Um, I, I see our next guest. He's here. He's getting his camera set. We'll bring him on when he's ready. Chat. What else did we miss today? AB. What else did we miss today? Dude, I don't know. I've like only been seeing uh, Tesla, Tesla, and that's about it. Oh, that time I did, did get a little something from Rohan. Do we? Do we? Um, we haven't talked about DWAC, which is like a like it's like a it's like a law. Of the markets, you have to talk about DWAC. I honestly, um, I, I don't even know if it's. I, I okay. I feel like the fact that I haven't heard about it today means it's probably down. Um, no, it's up. It's up only six percent, which is basically a sell signal at this point. Um, oh. It's up. It's, it's actually at one hundred one dollars as we speak. So, you know what? Though, but this is actually like this is what you want if you're like if you like actually if 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 you're long the stock, right? You want to see it hold up hold these hold like not give all of it back it's not giving all of it back it's doing a good job it's all you really want to see so, oh i just saw uh looks like thinking about it put the put the correct quote in the chat ours is not to question why ours is, but is that george is that that's george carlin right that is <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 good job nice job thinking about it points for you hey by the way everyone if you can be so kind 
Smash that like button for our new studio. New studio in the house. If I had my mixer, which I don't, I would do the air horn. But I don't I don't even know where it is right now. Uh, but hey, new studio, new us, same markets. New, 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 new. Thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. Did you hear that, Aaron? I did. Uh, Rohan's did? a little impromptu. Okay. Just checking. Uh, air Just horns. checking. Okay, it is twelve twenty-five. We got a lot of IPOs this week, man. A lot of IPOs. So let's bring on our expert who knows more about them than we do, Mister Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors. Let's get him on. Super zoomed in. Whoa, Matt, yeah, what's up, no, man? I left my other, I left my other uh, lens in the. Uh, anyway, a little bit of a technical issue this morning. Sorry to be late. But, That's uh, okay. Yeah, we got uh, brighter, but uh, much. You know, you're not here to see me anyway. We're here to talk. Uh, if only that were true. If only that were true. Okay, so <laughs> am I right in saying we've got a busy slate today? Or this week? Yeah, we, we got a busy slate this week. We got a couple, you know, we had a busy slate last week. And I happened to be away from uh, my desk for the last Thursday and Friday. So I missed <gasps> really good opportunities, um, including the whole DWAC madness. Uh, oh, you picked a bad couple of days to leave. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I still took a nice win on, uh, I got my wife to agree to let me make a play on SDIG, which is quick and profitable. So that was good. And, uh, you know, picked up a little bit, just kind of looking under the table while she went to the bathroom, taking some some quick scalps. It was kind of like shooting fish in a barrel for the last few okay. days. And I'm not the only one sitting there going, oh, you know, if I had bought a thousand shares of DWAC when it was at, you know, 12 and then sold at 175, I could go Matt, buy it. Matt, 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 listen to this. I bought, I bought DWAC at 13. Guess nice. Where would you sell it? 18. 17. Boom. See, and that's and that's what everybody does. And that's why you can't blame yourself and beat yourself up. It, it, you know, unless you were like, no, 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 this is going to catch on. It's going to 175. Uh, you know, I mean, not a lot of people bought at 10 and sold at the top. It's so no. hard to do that. If you just hold it, held it through, it's almost like if you held it past 20, okay, great job. But you know, how many times, if you've, if you've done the reverse and held through and then turned profits into losses, 10 other times, you know, those are bad habits. You can't really kick yourself. If you made it, you know, great. If you didn't just look for the next one and still really think about how you're going to trade these, where you're going to take profits. It's almost impossible to, if once you've held through 100, 110, 120, you know, you're probably still holding, you know? So, uh, you know, if you That's take true. profits on those, great. If you don't, oh, well, I mean, I, Sometimes we'll take a trade and say, no, this one, I, you know, I'm in pets since uh, 1.30 and it went up to 2.13 today. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm in this one for when Bostead pulls one of its, you know, multiple halt runners, you know, through the roof. And if I end up, you know, not taking profits on this where I could have, and it, but that's fine. What I'm really looking for on some trades is I want this to be a home run. I'm going to swing for the fences or I'm going to strike out. But that's yeah. my plan going into it. And, you know, you want to have that kind of mentality when you're doing these trades. And if you did that with DWAC, congratulations. But most people who traded at some point got out for, you know, a 5 or a $10 win. And if you did better than that, congratulations. But, you know, you might not be so lucky if that becomes your habit. 
uh, going into future trades. So really think about that. But okay, all all this being said, we don't have that much time. So let's, so let's get into it. Them. All right, stronghold digital mining. This is one I said was just kind of the lock of the week for me. And it wasn't the biggest winner, but when you have high conviction, you can go buy, you know, two or 3,000 shares. If you have that kind of spending power, you can go deep on margin. And it debuted at 27. Bitcoin was at an all-time high and running. This had the hype. It had the buzz. It was kind of the new kid on the block. And, you know, all the other miners were doing well that day. So you had to look at this one with a lot of conviction and say, okay, if it debuts, you know, under 30, I'm going to play at 230. And that's exactly what I did. I bought it at 27 on the debut. I locked in my you know limit order at 29.85. Nice. I think I put it in there, and within I mean it was like 10 minutes or something. You know, 10 minutes into the day, and I'm taking profits. I go about the rest of my day. If it keeps running, you know, great. If not, I took you know three dollars on 2,500 shares. It's a nice win, you know, for you know, for, for spending a, a very small amount of time trading. So uh, you could have taken more, but that was a good win. Context therapeutics. I don't like biotech, but I'm gonna start looking at anything that think equity is a, is the underwriter. Certain underwriters, Bosted, Sutter, Network One Financial, some of Maxim Group's uh, IPOs, they seem to kind of trick these into running. And they do that by having a low float. You don't know if it's gonna be the first day or the second day, but you can almost rest assured that at some point you're going to get a pop on these. The market was super thirsty. Um, it was, I mean, last week going into Thursday, it was like, okay, the correction's over. People were just looking for something to jump into. There hadn't been a lot of halts. There hadn't been any crazy runners and, you know, Bitcoin was ripping. And then it was kind of like whatever the next big thing was going to be, was going to run. Ended up being DWAC and a, you know, a few others related to it, like uh, Fun and um, some of the others, Sonom today. Um, but the market was just looking for something to trade. And this was the low float IPO that could. And it did. It jumped up from 4.30 to about 5. A lot of people probably bailed there. Then the trading groups jumped into it and said, hey, you know, they bought up all this stuff. And then pumped it up to 6.57, ran all the way to nearly 8. So low flat IPOs, you know, some do, some don't, but they tend to be pretty good plays and sometimes and more often than I'd say the traditional ones, they have the, you know, the potential to do better than 50%. And I didn't, you know, really look at this one as one to play, but it's starting to yeah. become a trend that think equity does well. Uh, Portillo's. Now, this is something I want to spend a little bit of time on because yeah, we let's talked go. about it. Let's and go. And I said, if this one does well after bros having done well, then I'm, you know, I'm putting, you know, regional food chain debuts on the menu, pun intended. Yep. Um, and this one confirmed my belief that if something is doing well regionally and it's IPOing and it's got that kind of local fan base to begin with, I mean, this is the second one in a row. And the one before that, which first watch restaurant group never heard of, it still did pretty well. It was like a 20 or 30% win. And um, I want to talk about these a little bit more in detail. And that is that D-Nut, which is not particularly regional, but it's not everywhere, is up 35%. First watch for restaurant group. These are in the first two days. Uh, wait, wait. Okay. I was, I, I was going to say, I don't think D-Nut's up 35% since the IPO. No, no. Up okay, 35% just, just in, the first... in the first two days from the debut, okay. not the Got IPO it. price, from the D-Nut debut below the IPO price, gave you a 35% win opportunity. 
First watch gave you a 20% win opportunity. Bros gave you a 90% win opportunity is now up, I think, over 100% on the from the IPO debut. And Portillo's will give you a 70% win opportunity. So these kind of regional, if they're doing well regionally and they're IPO to fund expansion, you know, makes sense. These are not, uh, it's, it's sort of obvious now um, to the point where, okay, the next time I see something like this, I see the point. I don't see a huge downside. I see a potentially great upside uh, to playing these. So you got a fanatical local fan base who already loves the product. Uh, they're positioned to grant market share in post-pandemic economy where a lot of restaurants have gone out of business entirely. And these guys are the kind of favorites that people want to go to. And if they're profitable on a local level, they'll be profitable you know, on a national level. And they make a great overnight media story in the local markets. And then when they run, uh, they make a great trading story so people pile on on day two so we've seen a few of them that have run and now i think the market's going to be looking for the next one so you know in my dreams uh in an out burger will go you know public wouldn't that be good Um, or 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 let me say this or that's the topping event of this trend possibly but i don't think the story uh, is hypothetical. Uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, if it, if it happens, we'll talk about it. So okay, yeah. let's, let's and move then a biotech here. that is uh, just because it was a big win opportunity. Um, Ventix. I don't play biotechs. This is the reason why I sometimes get sucked into thinking, hey, maybe I'll try my luck today, especially on like a boring day where I just want to trade something. They do sometimes run. They're very hard to trade. Very hard to pick which one. It's back down to its debut price and down a little bit from there, but. Um, just to show you sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I don't like them. Uh, let's jump through these uh, because some of them are worth. Uh, so Arteris, yeah. this is some kind of interconnect IP technologies for semiconductor uh, software okay. on a chip designs. So these services are used in 5G, automotive, AI, machine learning, and for data centers. So as we all know, there's a huge chip shortage. These guys provide services for designing the, uh, you know, the, the service on it, software on a chip, a uh, system on a chip, sorry. And their revenue is up 60% in the last six months, gross profits up 56% in the last six months. They've got negative net income and operating profit uh, with widening losses, um, but they are moving towards cash flow positive. The things that are interesting here is that it's a chip play chips are in super high demand right now and only becoming more necessary for everything in our lives and the float is pretty low they also debut on wednesday and the market's really hot right now the market's kind of looking for low float ipos that's sort of one of these day trader buzz trends right now so i like this one i don't love it because of the financials but i probably play this one it's got enough uh, enough going for it to get buzz going, and especially if I see people talking about it, uh, this could be might take a, a day for it to catch on. But unless we see a big correction and everything else, this is this has got the right ingredients for for an IPO play. Rent the runway. I think most of us have heard of this. This is kind of this is Gwyneth Paltrow backed. I think. Heidi Fleiss is also involved with this. Uh, it's a subscription-based pat- platform for renting high-end clothing. Uh, they were forced to close down all their physical locations during the pandemic. So I don't know how many people want to pay a subscription service to rent nice clothes that they can't try on ahead of time. I guess they can ship things back and forth. 
but revenue is down to 99.4% in the last six months with gross profits up 4%. So negative cash flow, negative net income, negative operating profits. I guess that that's all bullish, right? Not in my book. And I don't know enough oh, okay. about fashion. I actually all don't right. know anyone who uses this stuff. And I'm sure people, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a big industry from what I understand. It is, but these aren't the kind of numbers that get people excited about an IPO. And I just, without conviction, I don't see any point in playing yeah. this one. Informatica, this is a data management on the cloud uh, type of service. It used to be kind of on-site services, more consulting, but it's moving towards, and it's, I guess, successfully transformed itself into more of a cloud-based uh, software as a service model. This all sounds very exciting. It sounds like uh, Cloudera or Snowflake or, you know, even kind of Palantir type stuff. But their revenue is only up 9% in the last six months and gross profits are only up 12% in the last six months. So this is not the kind of growth story that I want to hear for a cloud, you know, data management startup. Maybe they're just too young in their new SaaS model. And they're, you know, this is actually a great opportunity to buy in before they, you know, start to really ramp up uh, revenue and gross profits. But, you know, and they do actually have operating profit and positive cash flow, uh, but negative net income. Uh, the float is actually not that lowish. It's pretty standard, uh, 29 million shares. But I don't think that this plays quite into the you know, the snowflake type of, uh, you know, information I mean, you, you can't just drop snowflake and Palantir in there, right? You, you're, you're teasing us with those comparisons. And I don't think the market is going to make those comparisons. I, I don't. Fair enough. Those are fair, fair enough. Next. Yeah. Solo brands. Uh, I'm interested in this. One. I have a solo stove. I'm sure you've all seen the commercials. Uh, or maybe nope. you haven't, but they're, they're like these little portable stoves that are, you know, have this air intake. I mean, nothing mechanical. Uh, it's kind of like a hollow. It looks like a hollow paint can uh, with a double wall that lets air in from the uh, bottom and feeds it to the top. They are cool. I traveled around with it for a while. They're easy to bring with you. They're kind of like a mini little bonfire. Uh, the revenue and gross profit numbers are very impressive. Uh, they're financial baseline is positive on operating profit and net income their cash flow negative but swinging in the right direction but the real question is you know if they're claiming to be dtc you know direct to consumer which is what the ticker they chose well can they do more than just the solo stove i don't know uh, great great ticker great ticker low, lowish float but um i don't believe that this is going to capture a lot of retail uh, interest Candela Medical, this is medical equipment for elective cosmetic surgeries like microneedle and RF, you know, energy type um, cosmetic, you know, beautician, I know salons use them. They're rebounding from pandemic lockdown. There's pent up demand. Revenue and gross profits are impressive. They have positive cash flow. They have positive net income and positive operating profits. So it does kind of play into this negative self-image trend, for better or worse. Uh, everybody's on Instagram comparing themselves to other people. Elective surgery is growing really fast. There is a lowish float. So this one's interesting to me as a business model. I have to see if people start, if, if there's retail interest on social networks, things like that. If people are talking about this, this could be an interesting play. 
If not, you know, maybe you can hold it and wait for the analyst coverage to boost this a little bit. But it's not a high conviction play, but it is an interesting IPO, one to keep an eye on in, uh, for the future. Ensemble Heart Health Partners, this is revenue cycle outsourcing software for hospitals. So basically they help hospitals manage their revenue cycle through a software platform. Uh, hospitals are great customers. Revenue and gross profits are way up. Uh, they are positive across all the uh, baseline financials uh, and have been uh, positive financial, you know, operating in, in positive financial territory despite the lockdown impacts. And they're projected to grow, you know, to kind of bounce out of that as well. It's a pretty standard float. I'm not sure retail will be too excited, but this is one of those plays where there might be enough financial or institutional interest on this to give it a boost. I'm not super bullish on it, and we haven't seen kind of the healthcare software management plays do all that well. So maybe it's not really worth tying your money up. A lot of times you'll like something and you'll want something to go up, and then it trades sideways, and you spend all day, you know, watching it, managing the trade just to break even. It may not be worth it, and I'll just have it on the on the list because there are other IPOs that day. Fluence Energy's battery storage, which sounds great. They do, you know, battery storage and software for utilities. Revenues up 53% in the last nine months. Wow. But they're not doing well financially, really. Their gross profits and gross margins are negative, which is very rare for an IPO. Uh, they have negative cash flow and negative net income. Um, so outside of revenue growth and the kind of understanding that the future market potential is huge, uh, I don't know how many people are going to get excited about this. Then again, people might compare it to like Tesla battery solutions, which I guess is listed as one of their competitors in the S1. So I don't know. 31 million shares makes me say, eh, probably won't move much either way. And that's enough for me to likely take a pass on this one. Man, if, if, if this were 12, 13 months ago, though, you see battery IPO, you, you, you go, yes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. When all the times change, uh, plug power and, and F cell yep. and all those were running. Times change. You know, but uh, yeah, now I'm not sure about that. Leon Bao, this is an interesting story. They licensed Western medicine for sale in China. So they basically they partnered oh. with Pfizer and Bridge Bio on 20 pipeline products. And they're going through all the regulatory you know processes in China to bring you know, drugs that are pretty much already you know approved for use in America, bring them in to China. They don't have any current revenue because they don't have any products that have, you know, been approved yet. And they don't have you know, any revenue. Oh, man. Yeah. They, they, oh. They have, like I said, they have a huge pipeline, but they don't have any, you know, products for sale yet. All so right. okay. all they have at I guess this point is, it is set up. And mm -hmm. if things weren't so bad between China and America right now, this might be something that gets a lot of hype. But given, you know, I don't really like pharmaceutical plays to begin with. I certainly don't think the Chinese market is a very safe place to, you know, anything with exposure to the Chinese market is kind of getting, if it's rebounding, it's off a pretty hard hit uh, over the last few months. And just this one could go either way. And I'm not sure it's, uh, I'm not sure a lot of people know about it to begin with. So if you're in, you know, if, you, if you're like, oh, it's crazy, licensing drugs from the U.S. To, for sale in China. This is a so wild. You know, I'm going to write this one down. I'm I'm writing this one down. L I A N. 
this could be if a while. you don't mind holding for a long time and you say oh well you know relations will normalize and chinese you know chinese medicine is you know okay it's interesting but when you're really sick do you want to be taking uh you know, ground up mushrooms and dried caterpillars or do you want some uh some serious antibiotics oh, or man. serious you know, western right. medicine and, and the answer is the latter all right, we, we we got a couple minutes left. What else we got? Okay, glo- glo- oh yeah, this, this, the this is one. the blockbuster. Yeah, this is the big daddy on the block for this week. It's a semiconductor foundry uh, that you know I think it's like the third or fourth largest you know fab in the in the world. And they, as we all we talked about earlier, this there is a global shortage of microchips, so their demand for their products is large and growing. It's a massive IPO with huge institutional interest, but their numbers aren't that great. They actually operated at a loss and have never been profitable. They were formed out of buying IBM's chipset or you know foundries when it got out of the chip business, and IBM got out of it because it wasn't they weren't able to be profitable with it. So uh, revenue is only up twelve percent in the last six months in during a huge chip demand shortage, which to me is kind of like, well, I don't know much about this industry, but Intel and um, Taiwan Semiconductor have done really well over the last couple of years. So maybe this is just uh, hot enough. No, they haven't. And Intel, not so much. Not so over much. the past few years. Yeah. Okay. Intel's kind of, a, kind of been a dog. Uh, yeah, it dropped hard on the, um, I guess it's been hit by a few things recently. Uh, yeah. So the, the play here is chip demand. The float is very large. The institutional interest is high. Uh, they, this is the, one of the things that they're claiming in their investor pitch right now is, hey, we don't have as much exposure. We hard, have hardly any exposure to China compared to most of our competitors. So we're kind of like the safe and dependable uh, you know, chip foundry. Go with us. I know that this will be the talk of Wall Street and they'll be ringing the bell. You know, they'll get a lot of publicity oh, yeah. on the day oh, of yeah. the IPO. So that always bodes well. They'll have a day two run. As long as we don't see a ridiculous debut premium, maybe this is worth playing. I don't have a hugely high conviction in this one, so I won't go with a big position, but it may be worth playing for, you know, one to $2 gain. But given that this is probably debut at a pretty high price, the best companies don't always make the best IPO plays. That's that's a great takeaway. That's a great takeaway. The best companies don't always make the best IPO. Yeah. So Udemy, I like this one. This is online courses. You've that's pretty pretty recognizable brand name. We saw um, Coursera do really well off the IPO. Uh, Duolingo did pretty well off the IPO. So these e-learning courses seem to be pretty popular. Uh, This is kind of the big daddy in the group. They have uh, over 180 courses in 75 languages and 180 countries. I mean, they're everywhere. Revenue is up 25% over the last six months, which sort of surprised me because I would think everyone would be taking online courses when they're locked up at home. That you know, you know what though? No, that's good. Because I bet you that's on top of whatever crazy growth they had last year. That's true. Yeah. That's so that's, that's that six months me, is not actually that strikes me as a good number. So, yeah. Gross profits and gross profits are up forty one percent over the last six months on gross margins of fifty five percent. So 
that's pretty good. Uh, negative operating prop net income and cash flow. That's kind of standard for a growth company, but they are swinging in the right direction on all of those metrics. So with the lowest float, 14.5 million shares to me, I like this one. I also like you to me. I like what they stand for. I followed them for a long time. I've taken some of the free courses they have there, or at least part of them. And I, I believe that this is a pretty, pretty solid setup for, you know, you're not going to get a massive win on this, but you might. Uh, Coursera did, you know, far better than I expected it, that it would. And so did Duolingo. So um, follow the trend when you see, you know, lookalikes doing pretty well and you see one come along that is arguably even better. Uh, you know, fool me one time, fool me twice, but three times, come on. Okay, higher rate right, holding. Right, Matt, we're we're okay, up against let, the clock. We're up against the clock. Yeah. Last ones here. Um, yeah. Higher right holdings, background checks, uh, jump to the punchline for me is Sterling Group sounds very similar and didn't do anything really on its IPO. So I'm going to say no thanks. This one okay. I do like, this last one, HRT. This is non-invasive fat reduction services in 16 locations across 13 states. Highly profitable. Uh, revenue up 176%. Gross profits up 213%. Uh, positive financial baseline across all three key metrics, which sounds a lot to me like a regional chain that has done well locally and is now doing an IPO to fund expansion. No, it's not food or coffee, but it is what you get when you eat too much Portillo's. So uh, the low float of you know 10 million shares, the highly successful business model looking to expand, to me, it kind of ticks the boxes and I'll be uh, looking forward to playing this one as well on Friday. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. All right, Matt Hammond uh, runs IPOWarriors.com, joins us every week to recap what happened last week and preview what is going to happen this week. Matt, we'll talk to you again next Monday, sir. Have a good one. You too, Spencer. Take care. Cheers. All right. Hey, our next guest is here, and I want to bring him on. Uh, so let's let's see if we can do that right now. Rick Eisworth, he's the president and CEO of Alamara Sciences. Guys, do we have Rick? I think we do. Let's get Rick on here. Ba, 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 ba. There he is. Rick, good great. afternoon, How sir. Today? How are we doing today? Doing great. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. Uh, let's start with the obvious question. Uh, what do you have for breakfast? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what, tell us about Alamara, what, what you're working on, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Alamara, we're an ophthalmology company focused on uh, treating diseases in the back of the eye or the retina. And we have what we believe is a, a better mousetrap or a better way to treat disease. Uh, the quick summary on that is most retina disease is chronic or persistent. It's not going away. So it has to be treated for a very extended period of time. And yet it is typically treated with what I call, you know, acute or short-term therapies. And those therapies are needles or injections in the eye um, that last for anywhere from 30 to 60 days, maybe 90 days on the outside. So these patients are constantly having to go back to the doctor to get a needle in the eye. And um, our drug's an alternative to that. It's also an injection in the eye, but it is a... Um, 
Um, it's a, a small device that's inserted in the eye that delivers a corticosteroid for up to uh, 36 months um, to stop the disease from coming back and give you greater control over the disease over a longer period of time. So we're talking about Alluvian here. You can see it up on the screen. Uh, where are we at, uh, Rick, in the drug approval process? Oh, so, you know, Alluvian's approved. We've got an existing company and a pretty right. decent revenue stream. Um, we're approved in the U.S., uh, 17 countries in Europe, a couple countries in the Middle East. Um, we actually did just under $54 million in revenue in 2019, and we're on pace to do in the mid-60s um, and early 20 before um, COVID struck, I guess. Um, but we fairly fared pretty well in that. We did just under $51 million in revenue last year. And, um, you know, yes. continue to make improvements. Um, that, 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 that's great. You know, we, you know, we talked to a lot of early stage companies on this show and, or, uh, you know, uh, here and, and, you know, what they're working on is always great, but it's always nice to see a company that actually got a drug through the pipeline and out into the market and is now realizing all those years of, of, of research and, and investment. So, so, so congrats on that. Tell us a little bit about, I, I don't really know much about the size of the ophthalmological market just like like how many you know yeah. people a year are we talking about here and yeah so so our key indication is um for diabetic macular edema so patients that are diabetic that are uh, losing their vision and there's about 600 to 700,000 um cases of what's called clinically significant macular edema so where that swelling is getting toward the you know central visual uh, parts of your retina and really impacting vision um, in the 17 markets we're approved in, in Europe, you know, you're between 800,000 and a million patients in those markets. So there's plenty of patients. And as, as you know, um, diabetes is a growing pandemic itself. And so I don't think there's going to be any shortage of patients for us to treat uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, I'd be remiss to ask, uh, I mean, are there other drugs in the pipeline or are we talking about Alluvian here? Yeah, we're talking about just Alluvian at the moment, yeah. um, but our focus as I said, is to build a company, you know, focused on treating the retina. There's nobody out there that has more than one product in the retina space. You know, most retina products, and there's only, you know, nine or 10 of them that have ever been approved are buried in much larger companies. So we'd like to be that first company out there with more than one product. And we are looking for something uh, else to put in the, in the pipeline. Can you explain a little bit about why your treatment, it, like, what, what is it about it? What is it about Alluvian that, makes it last three years as opposed to the current treatments out there that, you know, as you say, you have to go back month after month. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was really, it was specifically engineered to, to deliver the drug for an extended period of time. So it is, um, Alluvian is actually a little polyamide tube or it's a plastic, a plastic tube. It's literally one thirty second the size of a grain of rice. So it's very, very small. That little plastic tube is filled with a polyvinyl alcohol matrix with a, a steroid called flucinolone acetonide. And um, that tube is cured and um, then it's capped on one end with a silicone cap. So one end of that little tube is left open. And um, what you get from that is you get this consistent ser uh, surface area of the drug core exposed, which results in, you know, pretty consistent delivery of the drug every day um, at about 0.16 micrograms per day for three years. And so um, it's, it's in the design. Most um, other drugs in the eye are either fluid injections, or some people have looked at, you know, more durable therapy, but it's erodible technology. And just by nature, when something erodes, the surface area decreases and the amount of drug exposed comes down. So you get a pretty rapidly declining delivery of drug versus the consistency you get from Olivia. Uh, normally when I, 
speak to executives like yourself and I'm asking about what is the next catalyst because there's always an upcoming trial uh, or something to do with the the FDA process. But in your case, I, I mean, is the next catalyst approval in an, another market or, or, or what? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think you got to look to us for just continued revenue growth, um, geographic expansion. You know, we've gone from 12, 12 or so countries where Lugan was available at the end of 2019 to, um, you know, 18 or 19 today. And we expect to continue to expand and you know, build that network and make Lugan available. But we actually do have a pretty important um, clinical trial ongoing right now. It's a phase yeah. four study. So Lugan's already approved. But I believe that Lugan should be, you know, considered as first line therapy for, you know, all of the 600,000 patients that are out there being treated with um, DME. And so we actually started what's called the New Day study because Alamere actually means, uh, there's an interpretation of Alamere that means New Day in, in modern Greek. Um, and it is a head-to-head -head comparison of our drug Alluvian in diabetic macular edema patients that are, you know, fairly recently diagnosed, newly treated versus the standard of care, which is ILEA. Um, and ILEA is a product that's um, marketed by Regeneron in the U.S. and Bayer outside the U.S., but it's about a $7.5 billion drug. And so as a small company, we're sort of putting our money in our mouth is running this head-to-head -head trial against them in treating those patients. Um, you know, we probably have about 25% enrollment in what's going to be a 300-patient study and expect to get data um, from that in a couple of years. But if we're fractionally right, you know, it could be a huge inflection point for Alamere in addition to the growth we're seeing today. And, you know, I don't want to dismiss the risks of clinical trials, but, you know, we've treated about 40,000 patients around the globe already with our drugs. So we sort of know how it works. And that was all factored in the way we designed this trial. So we're pretty excited about that study. I got to say, I don't hear too much about phase four trials. Uh, I guess, you know, the trial after the approval, right? Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Because, you know, we always talk about phase one or phase two or phase three or phase two, phase three. But, but yeah, you don't, you don't hear too much about phase four, but I guess that's, that's what you get when you have a drug already through the pipeline. That's right. Uh, do you do you have? I don't even know if you can give this to us, but like, do you have uh, a timeline or ETA on that trial, or, or when you expect it to be fully enrolled at the very least? Yeah. So you know, we are we're a little bit behind where we expected. You know, candidly, we probably launched the 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 trial at, at the worst time. We launched it in the fall of 2020. And unfortunately, you know, underestimated how long COVID would continue and kept, um, you know, a lot of these newly diagnosed and diabetic patients out of the office. But we've seen momentum pick up recently. And our goal is to try to have it fully enrolled by the middle of next year, um, which would provide us data at the end of 2023. All right. We've been on with Rick Eisworth. He is the uh, CEO and he is the president of Alamera Sciences. Um, Rick, anything else we, we, we should know before we go? You know, I, I think you've touched on most of the topics. I would say that, you know, we're unique in farm and that we've got a, you know, a, a decent amount of revenue we're generating already. We've actually generated positive even on the past. Again, rare for a small pharma company. So you've got a good, stable, growing company here, but you also get that option value of the big trial coming up that could, you know, be a pretty significant inflection point for us going forward. All right. We're guys with a uh, pleasure to chat. Thanks for coming on today. Appreciate the time. Great. Thank you, Spencer. All right. AB, I see you lurking. How we, doing? How we doing? How we doing? Background. We have our next guest here. I see the chat is going. Hey, Tesla did not correct me if I'm wrong, but it did not get to a thousand. Correct? It got just short. I think it got to nine ninety. Well, yeah, I made I made the title for nine, today's episode. Will Tesla hit a thousand by the end of the week? I should have made it. Will Tesla hit a thousand by the end of the day? I didn't know we were going to run another five percent after you know we opened. It was up. Tesla was up like five percent this morning, 
And 998. Now, we hit 998. 74. We came a buck and a quarter away. But as the chat is keen to point out, there are sellers lined up at a thousand. I can't say I blame them. Yeah, you might, mean, well form, stock, you might as well form a wall somewhere. Stock is up nine percent today. Up up more than thirteen uh, percent over the past five trading days. Uh, up more than 25% over the last month. So yeah, I mean, Tesla has just continued its absurd strength really. Um, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure our next guest, Jake from trend spider will, will have some insights for us as far as on Tesla's yes. chart, um, as Definitely. well as some other charts. So let us know in the chat, what tickers y'all are watching. We can check the charts out with Jake um, and Spencer without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Jake on. Yeah, let's let's get Jake on here because we got a lot of charts. Drop your tickers in the chat. It doesn't matter if it's a stock or a crypto or an ETF, whatever. Jake can do it. As Are long as he's got a chart. On? Am I bringing Jake on? Are you bringing Jake uh, on? I'll bring him on. on. I just wanna, I'm going to play my little. Jake, how we doing today? What's up? That was a cool little intro. Yeah, only the best for our, you know, illustrious guests such as yourself. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. How's, How's it going? Uh, hey, everything's good. I I had some Tesla like spreads and calls last week that I sold for a profit, but now I'm wishing I would have held on to some. Hey, that's the market. There's always another play out there and the market's looking very strong right now, so, you know, it's it's uh you just got to find what's lagging and and maybe uh, jump on that bus, so there's plenty of them out there. Uh, well, yeah. If you want to go ahead and pull up your screen, let's let's take a look. Let's try to find that next play. I mean, I, I'm I, I want to find the next Tesla. I want to find the next, um, you know, breakout. So, well, let's, let's do it. Can you see my screen? Yep. Looks like we got Spy pulled up. Yep. And you know, as I always kind of do a top-down approach, just kind of looking at where the markets are right now. Spy breaking uh, new all-time highs today. It's been it's been hitting all-time highs at the last two days. And what's really interesting here is, you know, just another great case study on these volume shelves. Um, these, these areas where you have a ton of volume kind of stacking up and aggregating. And then you can see the price just kind of stair steps off of these levels. And once again, we had a nice volume shelf forming over the last couple of days. And once again, a nice launch off of that area. So, you know, this is where you want to maybe look at the laggards. What hasn't hit an all-time high yet, at least in the indices? And so if you look at SPY, we're already there. But then you go look at the Qs. We've already got this kind of uh, setup here that's looking very similar to SPY on that, on that previous shelf before we got to all-time highs. So you've got the same thing. You've got quite a bit of volume holding here. That's creating a base for price to move up. Notice we're not at all-time highs yet. And some may, some may be wondering, you know, where are you measuring this volume from? I'm measuring it from the previous all-time high because if we measure it from this swing low, we don't have a lot of volume uh, data above the current price because we haven't hit that price if we're looking back only since the bottom here. So we want to move this back to the left and look at what has uh, kind of aggregated since uh, the all-time highs. And you'll see here that we are starting to get into this uh, what I like to call a volume gap, an area where you don't have a lot of liquidity above until you get to around all-time highs, which is right around you know 380 to 382 here. And we'll just highlight this in red. So anytime you have the price below one of these uh, volume shelves here, we're going to highlight this red because these are essentially shares that are still holding at an unrealized loss. 
Um, and so this will naturally act as a little bit of a resistance point. So the queues are lagging a little bit from SPY, which is kind of interesting. Generally, we've seen the queues kind of leading the market over the last 18 to 20 months. So the fact that we are starting to lead in SPY tells me at least that we're probably going to have a really, really strong move in the queues in the coming weeks. And going into November, we have a very strong historically seasonal time of year looking back, you know, pretty much since the 2009 bottom. So uh, the queues looking good. IWM, though, is kind of my main thing that I'm watching here. If you look at the daily chart, we have pretty much turned resistance into support here. On Friday, we had this nice candle with this wick. You had quite a bit of liquidity being sucked out of a lot of small cap names into some of those uh, individual names like DWAC, PHUN, FUN. Uh, and so then this is kind of back to normal now. We're, we're breaking out to these newer highs um, that we've seen in the last week and a half. So the daily is something I'm keeping an eye on that we're breaking out here. But then if you look at the monthly, and I think we touched on this even maybe last time I was on, we're finally starting to break this bull flag. So not only do you have the technical setup here, now the month of October does close for trading on Friday. So we can't get too excited about this potential breakout here on the monthly chart, but we have to at least start paying attention to it. So the fact that we've got this uh, bull flag potentially breaking out, um, you know, this is very strong, especially considering we've retested these previous resistance areas uh, over the last several months and they've acted as support. So you've got the technical setup, you've got a really strong bull flag here, but then the seasonality is just incredible going into uh, November. So if you look at November as a function of just a month of the year since uh, 2016, which is pretty much when we when we finally bottomed here after doing nothing for about two years, uh, we've got a 100% win rate for November. So that means 100% of the time November closes higher than December um, since 2016. Now, if we go back since the start of this huge bull trend we've been in pretty much since the uh, financial crisis, it doesn't really change much. November has a 92% win rate and December has a 75% win rate, two of the highest winning months of the year uh, looking back over the last 13 years. So there's a lot of things aligning here. You've got the technicals aligning, you've got the non-technicals aligning and the seasonality side of things. If you look at the queues, uh, actually does not have as high of seasonality as the... Uh, as uh, IWM has, it still has a 75% win rate, uh, but it's definitely worth noting that, you know, it's it's something that is a little lower than IWM. I think SPY also has like a huge win rate. So uh, yeah, 92% for SPY since 2009. We've got this breakout here where we've got a lot of blue sky above. So whenever you're looking at the markets, you always want to look at these indices first before you dive into the individual names, because the setups are a lot more likely, especially on the, the long side to play out when you have a general idea of where the market is. And if the market's looking really strong, those bull setups on the individual names are likely going to play out a little better than if the markets were kind of a little weak. So really strong indices here. Um, I'm, I'm thinking the VIX probably just continues to melt the rest of the year. We'll just have to see and play that by ear. But all in all, a lot of blue sky above on, on most of these uh, these indices. Now we can go into some individual names. Um, I'm not I don't have the uh, the live stream up right now, so I can't look at the chat. But I do want to kind of point out one that I I really like right now. I have a position, not a big position, just a, kind of a longer term 
um, a longer term uh, option contract here for for uh, January. But this is an interesting one. BLNK. The thesis here is one. It's a small cap. It's like one point two billion dollar market cap. It's not really small, but it's not huge. So you've got the seasonality there for small caps. But then you've also got this seasonality from last year. If you look at BLNK last year around this time of year, we tested this anchored VWAP from the COVID low. So we're testing the volume weighted average price um, since we bottomed out during COVID. And that happened in late October, almost exactly the same time of year it happened this time, um, uh, pretty much maybe a couple of weeks earlier this time where we had this uh, similar candle. But now we're really starting to catch a bid. Um, now, the main thing is you definitely want to close above these previous highs. Uh, you should always look at the market as an if-then statement. You know, if this breaks above these levels, then this is a probably strong name to keep an eye on. So we would really need to break these previous wicks here, which uh, right, are right around 31. So this one really needs to break 31 to get going. I got in the January $35 calls because if you look at what's happened previously when we've tested this uh, this anchor view app from the COVID low, especially back in March of 2021 and then May of 2021, we moved up from this point here, which is right around 25, 26, all the way up to around 40 to $45 uh, within about six weeks. So if we have a similar type of move here, this could move pretty quickly. Um, so definitely something to keep in mind. Another thing we've been dropping here on low volume. Notice that the volume is dropping as the price has been dropping as well. That's always a recipe for, uh, you know, uh, a generally pretty big move coming. And generally it happens, you know, all at once. It's not, you don't grind higher. You just kind of have this explosion that happens out of nowhere. So you've got EVs really, really uh, catching a bit here. Um, you've got plug power that was kind of the leader here. So, you know, plug finally, and once again, we got the volume shelf. Uh, this was one that I had on my watch list uh, about a month ago, maybe a few weeks ago. Because you had this symmetrical triangle, you had this massive volume shelf, you got a ton of shares holding here. And then finally, this volume shelf created a base for the price. And we kind of had that launch pad effect that we like to talk about with these volume shelves. So I think plug is, is one of the leaders right now. And some of the laggards are, are you know, BLNK, F-Cell, some of those names uh, that, that just haven't really made the move yet. So from an EV standpoint, I mean, Tesla is definitely kind of the overall leader here. And one thing that I do want to point out here on Tesla using the, well, I guess we can look at seasonality, but I also wanted to touch on the raindrops. I know, I know we kind of bring those up quite a bit on the show because they're very proprietary to the platform. Um, what has been really interesting has been these balloon breakouts that have happened over the last few weeks. So if you turn on the raindrop chart and you look at the ascending triangle that was forming here in, in the first week and a half of October, and then you see this balloon raindrop that was forming last Friday, we've got this area where you've got a lot of volume aggregating above the resistance zone. So anytime you see kind of that bulge of volume, I mean, the only way that I, the reason why I named it a balloon breakout is because that's what it looks like. I mean, that's, it literally just looks like a balloon. So that balloon shape comes from a lot of that volume aggregating at the top of the range. And you know that there's buyers willing to absorb supply because you can't say, oh yeah, that was a bunch of buying volume. You, you technically could because there were buyers there to absorb the supply. But what about all the people that were selling shares 
at the top of the range. We need those buyers to have conviction to actually soak up that supply. And that's what creates that, that balloon. And, and the, the case, uh, not the case study, the example analogy that I always come up with is, is if you have a sponge, right? If you have a dry sponge and you pour water on the sponge, you're probably not going to see a lot of water soak out the bot or drip out the bottom because that sponge is dry. There's a lot of uh, sponge to absorb that water. And that's kind of the same thing you can look at with these balloons. If you've got a bunch of supply, which is the water being poured on the market, if there's actually demand there to absorb those shares, you're going to see uh, essentially the top of the raindrop, almost like a sponge absorbing that, that supply being dumped on the market. Now, if you don't have demand there to absorb that water or your sponge is not dry, then that water is immediately going to drip out the bottom and it's going to, you know, gravity is going to come into play and it's going to continue to drop down. Same thing. If you don't have buyers there to soak up that supply, you're not going to see that bulge of volume at the top of the range. The price is going to have to drop in order to find buyers. So that's really how you can look at these raindrops. And this is why it's really powerful to look at these types of setups when you're breaking out of a crucial resistance level, such as horizontal resistance, uh, you know, simple ascending triangle resistance. And so this was a great case study on Tesla. Congrats to everybody who, uh, who's been in this trade, just an absolute ripper of a uh, move. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people have been bearish on this. A lot of people, I think Chamath was saying at like 780 that, Oh, I'm out. This has been, this is way too overvalued. Well, the market doesn't think so. It keeps going up. So if you look at a longer term perspective here on Tesla, you know, I don't think this is over yet. Uh, this is when you really need to start bringing in the FIB levels because we don't have any price. Uh, we don't have any price history to the left. So you can see here that this is our measured move from January 21 to uh, March of 21. This moved down. We finally broke out of these previous all time highs. The next level, this 1.618 extension is right around 11.25. And um, what's really interesting about this and a question that I got a few weeks ago or maybe a month and a half ago was, you know, how is Tesla going up on decreased volume? Well, it's simple. You don't, you just have people not selling. If you have a, a bunch of people locking up supply because they don't want to sell Tesla, then you don't need a bunch of buyers to step in. You don't need to see these big green candles coming in. You just need people to stop, um, stop selling. And that's exactly what's happened with Tesla pretty much since uh, COVID. You just have had decreasing volume as you've had an increasing price because there's a lot of people who believe in Tesla and they don't want to give up their shares. Same thing happens in SPY all the time. If you go and look at a lot of the capitulation volume in, in SPY, notice here, we generally are moving up on low volume. So notice here, every time that we've, we've kind of bottomed out with these big volume spikes, that's your capitulation volume. That's everybody cashing out who's going to cash out. And then you'll see most of the time, the price is moving up on decreasing volume. And that's simply because that supply continues to dry up and the price is able to move up simply because of uh, the, the supply side decreasing rather than you know, a ton of demand coming in. If you get a bunch of volume blocks coming in at once at the bottom that are green, then everybody is kind of rushing in at the same time. You want to see volume decreasing because then less and less people are selling and you don't need that demand to, to increase to move up the price. You just need uh, supply and demand 
to be at equilibrium from, from supply drying up. So don't be one of those people that thinks prices have to go up because you have to have a ton of new buyers or prices have to go down because you have to have a ton of new sellers. Study the supply and demand curves, and that will really show you why prices are moving a lot of the time the way they do. It's not just one-sided. You don't go up simply because buyers step in. Um, so, so just wanted to go over that, kind of explaining that with Tesla and SPY. But uh, another name that you know finally is, is starting to move is Spotify. Uh, this is one that a lot of people don't have on their watch list or radar. I, don't, I really don't know why. Uh, if you look at the social sentiment on Spotify, a lot of the time, a lot of people are not too engaged in, in the charts for Spotify. Now, me, you know, I I'm, will continue to just eat this up long term. I think I initially got in around 221 or so um, because, you know, Spotify is not going anywhere at all. It's just going to continue to grow. The market cap is also pretty small. So small relative to, you know, what it could be uh, in the in the coming years. So this is when I like to start looking at the monthly charts. Some people don't like looking at the monthly charts until the end of the month. You still can get an idea of what those monthly charts are looking like. In this case, Spotify is starting to potentially break out of this falling wedge. Uh, and the main thing here is this VWAP. We really need to get above this anchored VWAP from these previous highs. You'll see that it's been a resistance zone literally for the past five or four or five times that we've tested this level. So a break and close above around 265 is really what I'm watching here on Spotify. But, you know, over time, I'm probably just going to keep adding. Um, another one is GRWG. This is one that, you know, a lot of people uh, have pretty much given up on, which to me is the exact time you want to get in. This was my initial thought here, kind of a pullback. But we've actually pulled back even more. And now we've had pretty much five, four red months in a row. And all you need is this to close of above 23. And this is a decent monthly candle here with a decent wick. Uh, so GRWG, definitely keep an eye on. On the weekly chart, this is kind of what I'm looking at. I really don't look at oscillators or lower indicators. A lot of the time they can be a lagging indicator, but I do like to use the Williams percent range as a, a gauge for divergence and when things are really getting overextended to the upside or the downside. GRWG is one that's got this really defined falling wedge. You can see that we are attempting to break out of it. It's only Monday. We still have like four days left, four and a half days left in the week. But you've got these lower lows that were created over the last few weeks. You've got these higher lows on the percent range. So that's a divergence play that you might want to check out. And this thing is, is on the weekly. So, you know, this is, this is really, uh, in my opinion, maybe just getting started. I've been buying all the way down. This isn't a trade for me. I do have a trade around a core position, but... This is also a long-term hold. This is one that I'm buying my son and maybe, you know, I'll give him the shares when he's in high school. Uh, but once again, pretty small market cap. IWM's looking very strong with the seasonality. You want to look at all of these things together to get a bigger picture. Notice in November as well for GRWG over the last five years, 75% win rate. That's uh, definitely in the, the top uh, uh, 25% for months of uh, or the top 30% for months of the uh, year as far as strength goes. So you've got a strong November, weak December, uh, 40%. But then January is really when these marijuana stocks really start to take off. So, you know, in my opinion, I'm probably going to be uh, probably continue to be bullish on here because marijuana is not going anywhere. 
uh, a lot of these weed names are still pretty small market caps relative to the the addressable market in the in the coming years. And so this is not only a technical play, but also a little bit of a fundamental play. Um, and this is one of those things that has physical stores. Denver has these stores and they they're providing the the resources for growers to grow their own weed, both from a commercial side and a retail side. And so, you know, that's that's something to keep in mind that this is kind of the pick and axe as Brian Shannon essentially, uh, initially told me about this stock at like seven bucks. He's like, yeah, this is one you want to look at this. They're providing the picks and the axes. They're not they're not just another grower out there. Everybody's trying to grow their own marijuana. That's there's no edge there. Um, providing the resources to grow is is really where where the uh, the edge is right now. So GRWG is another one. Uh, do we have any do we have any requests that we want to dive into uh, with the last 10 ish minutes left? Let's see if we get any tickers flying in the chat. Have you been uh, making any trade today, Jake? Uh, no, not today. I'm really more of a swing swing position trader. I'm not too active in trading like constantly. Um, so no, I haven't. I've been I've just kind of been watching the market. Let me be if. If we can, let's go over Disney real quick. This is definitely one that I also have an eye on. It's it's been complete crap for quite a while now, but you've got this longer term horizontal level that continues to hold pretty strong candle today. Not a ton of volume yet, but Disney is one that you may want to keep an eye on with a gap above around 174 into the coming days. So this is more of a daily setup now. November, also very strong for Disney, 92% win rate, 75% win rate in December. So you definitely want to use the seasonality on TrendSpider to, you know, it's not going to make or break your trade. It's an, it's a variable, it's a tool in the toolbox to complement your technical analysis or your fundamental analysis or whatever you're using to analyze the markets. And I'll be honest, I really never used seasonality until TrendSpider, uh, we got it on the platform. It's something I use uh, as a big part of my analysis on a daily basis. Any yeah. individual names? Um, let's see. I saw Palantir being thrown out in the chat. That's, of course, a fan favorite. Oh, yeah. Um, Palantir. Got SoFi. Okay. Well, we'll look at a couple of those. Palantir. Uh, Palantir finally got above the swing high anchored VWAP. So if we if we start measuring the volume distribution pretty much from this previous high, you'll see once again, we've got this volume shelf forming here. Um, and then you've, you've finally got this move above. Now we have to close above it. We did have a similar move back on the 19th of October, but we didn't actually close above the swing high anchored VWAP. That's, that's the main key there is you need to close above it. So for now, we would close above it if the market closed right now. Um, but there's still some time left. This this may pull back, but all in all, it's looking pretty strong here. The main level that I'd be watching for on PLTR is the gap above, right around 27, 23. If you want, we want to be right on the money, but I'd say around 27.20 to 27.25 would be the level above that this may want to fill. Um, so that's that's PLTR. SoFi, another one that everybody uh, likes to watch. This is one that uh, I initially was tracking on the symmetrical triangle breakout. And my initial target was right where we are right now, uh, right around the 21 area. 
So we did get that breakout, a uh, really nice breakout here. It's always fun to kind of go back at and look at charts that you haven't looked at in a while. So I haven't really pulled this one up for a hot minute. So we're pretty much right at this previous area here, which is just uh, this this kind of mix of this pivot here and then this this high before we made new lows. But yeah, this is the main area you'd want to watch on SoFi. And then you you definitely want to pull out the volume by price, you know, and you could either anchor it from this, this hard reversal here, uh, which you can see you don't have a ton of volume up here yet, or you can kind of anchor it from this pivot here. And you'll see there's, there's actually quite a bit of volume from this, uh, this September 30th low uh, forming here. So um, we would definitely need to get above this volume in order for it to kind of turn into a, a little bit of a launch pad, if you will. Uh, but for now, it's going to act as uh, some break-even supply, meaning that, you know, these, sh these shares are pretty much right at break-even. Once supply dries up and you get any type of uptick in demand, you know, that could be the catalyst for the next move up. But so far, it's looking pretty good, I got to say. Um, so, so definitely keep an eye on that one. Another one that I definitely have my eye on is GE. This, I think, is going to benefit from the infrastructure bill. Uh, so if you look at GE on the weekly chart, actually, let's do the monthly. You'll see here that we finally broke through this previous resistance here. And if we kind of measure the volume since this 2016 reversal in the trend before we just absolutely catapulted to the downside, you've got pretty much everything you, you need here for a nice kind of flip. You've got previous resistance acting as support, but then you've also got just this huge area of volume creating this volume shelf here on GE. Now, GE is one that, you know, GE is not one that I'm going to play weekly options on or even probably a month out. It's just too choppy. And until this finally breaks above these previous highs around 115, uh, it's going to be kind of hard to see if this is actually trending on the breakout. Now, another level is right around 107. You can see these previous wicks here from the last two months. And then even the, uh, the July wick here is right around 109. So if GE can close above 110, it's definitely on my radar. And I would probably look at maybe getting like March 2022 calls or something pretty far out where, uh, you know, you've got some time and I probably wouldn't play anything crazy out of the money. If anything, I'd probably play like the 120s or the 125s um, for March or even or even further out. You're not going to make as much money, but you're also not going to get hit when this thing randomly drops 3% a day for no reason. So um, definitely keep GE in mind if you are looking for some monthly setups. This monthly candle is looking pretty good as well. And you've got that infrastructure uh, bill news starting to kind of come into play with a lot of these uh, electric names. Um, so so this is another one high on the watch list. Got it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep our eyes on GE. That's not one that you hear people talk about a lot. Yeah, and that's that's why I personally like it because you you know if everyone's talking about it, then it means a lot of people are already in. You want to find the names that not a lot of people are talking about. First Solar is another one. First Solar is kind of already making that move. Uh, this is one that got this breakout here on the monthly chart. If you look at the measured move from March 2020 to January 2021, then you apply that same measured move from this low in May of 2021. You know this could easily be a 200 plus dollar stock. 
it's been around forever. I mean, if you look at the previous highs here, uh, back in 2007, 2008, it was at 300 bucks. Um, and I think that's like assuming, I think they did a split. So I don't know if it was ever at 300, but um, it's definitely been much higher than it is today. And uh, if you look at the measured move, 265 is my target on first solar. So I'm definitely liking solar names and anything that's electric. I think this whole electric vehicle, everything renewable push is going to create kind of a new economy uh, for for the U.S., which is which is a good thing. You you know you can't just you you can't create an, a, a a huge growing economy by just doing the same thing over and over. You got to innovate. You've got to create new ways of doing things. And so I finally think this renewable and electric push is is probably here to stay. And these are probably going to be very strong names into the uh, coming year, as well as marijuana names. I still think marijuana is is definitely ready for some type of bigger move. Uh, and if you look at like MJ, the marijuana ETF, uh, this is one that also has kind of got that falling wedge here. We tried to break out last week. We're technically above that resistance zone now. So keep MJ on your watch list if you want kind of more exposure to the overall sector rather than an individual name. Um, so this is another one to keep an eye on. Real fast, show of hands. Who here lost money trying to buy the dip in GE? No, just me. Just okay. you, Spence. Yeah, not me. Just me. That's fine. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, G GE was a tough one. I I uh, bought quite a bit of that one and then had to use that money to buy uh, help buy our house. So I think I had <laughs> I think I had it at like seven bucks. But I don't know. Real real estate's done pretty well over the last since then. So it's kind of hard to say. You know if I would have been ahead on that one, but yeah, GE, I like MJ, um, all of these names that have kind of, uh, just been stagnant, uh, seem to be gearing up, especially with that IWM seasonality. Awesome. Uh, Hey uh, guys, Jake is the uh, co-founder of trend spotter. There's a link in the description that you can use to get a discount on your or it's not a link it's, a, it's actually a code and the code is bz25 i'll put it up on the screen here bz25 and that'll get you 25 percent off yes sir with that code monthly or yeah. annual so you know it's it's uh it's also got a free trial so you can go in and try it before you buy you don't have to just go buy it to try all these different things out that we touched on there's a lot of unique things the uh the raindrops seasonality VWAPs with these percentage bands that I always like to use. So try it out, free trial, and then you can use that BZ25 for a little extra off uh, if you decide to actually move forward. There we go, Jake. And I'm liking I'm uh, liking this new setup. You got the podium going there. You, you know what? Hey, Kate, can we get is anyone is anyone even at the the desk right now? Can can we get the other angle here, the other camera angle? I don't even know if anyone is over there right now. Is anyone over there? Is no one producing this show right now? It would appear not. You know why? No one's there, and I'll tell you why. Because the food just came. Nice. <laughs> so nice. everybody is over in the kitchen. Literally, I can see the stream of people coming from the kitchen over here with their food. No one is actually at man of the controls right now. We're all doomed. Uh, oh, but, but we have another camera angle I would love to show you. <laughs> see, Mike, see if you can do it. I don't know if you can figure it out. Um, but no one's going to be able to get it. It's fine. Next time we'll have it. Um, yeah, fancy. We are uh, 
we're, we're, we're building things here. New sets, new sets. I was and more. Gonna say, I, I saw some news today. Congratulations on, on, uh, the, the big news. And, um, it looks like you guys are uh, just scaling up the operations to really get some good stuff coming. That, yeah, that, you know, what? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I, what I told the guys this morning, we were going to do a SPAC. We took, we put it to a vote and the vote was rejected. No SPAC for us. I'm just kidding. No hey, there I am. Oh. I'm just kidding. What's up, guys? I'm over on the ceiling. How are we doing? Oh, hey, with the Zoom. I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> okay, Jake, uh, a pleasure as always, man. Have a good one. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. See ya. All right. Now, look into my eyes. Chris Capri, Second Skies Trading, is here backstage. Let's bring him on. I have, to, I have to look away for a second. Okay. Where's Chris? There he is. Okay. Backstage in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> in Lake Tahoe. Very nice. Yes. What's yes. in Lake Tahoe besides you? Besides me, Mark Zuckerberg is here as well. He's on the other side of the lake. Yeah. He just moved here uh, from COVID. Thought about, you know, if I see him on the lake, maybe take him out with my boat since all the harm he's caused with Facebook. But yeah. <laughs> that would be, this, uh, th- that would be probably a net, net positive. But that does not represent the that that opinion does not represent the views of Benzinger. It is not. Uh, no, no, no. Just uh, just that, a that, speculative that, idea. It's me playing fantasy yeah. here. Maybe a net 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 positive. Anyway, Chris, what's on your radar here? Yeah, well, so it's hard not to talk about Tesla today. Uh, let me show you the screen on that. Yes, please. Okay. Let me just make sure that you guys are seeing everything. Okay. Jay, no lobster. Uh, I, I, I did suggest Jason said we're getting, we're getting lunch today. He said whatever we want. I suggested a steakhouse and he knew that they wouldn't be open for lunch. Uh, but we got Mexican, not quite as good, but we'll take it. So let's see those charts. Do I have them up? Yes, I do. Sweet. All right. Okay. Tesla, so one trillion dollars. Yeah, so it's hard not to, uh, you know, take a look at Tesla. I mean, it's up over 10% on the day or pretty much 10% on the day. News came out, which you can see in the Benzinga app. If you look at and that's actually where I got it from was the Benzinga Pro app, which is my source for news, that uh, they had signed a deal with Hertz to deliver or to Hertz can buy 100,000 EV Teslas from them by 2022. So this is just kind of a feather in the cap for all the things that have been going on with Tesla. You know, after the earnings and everything like that, things have been pretty much just all systems go. So earnings happen. People kind of digest it. And the next day, people just start buying right off the bat. You can see volume on this. So let's expand this. So here's volume pre. Here's volume pre-test, you know, pre-earnings, which is to be expected that it'd be muted. Very kind of low profile. Day after earnings, huge, huge, even here, you know, even larger. So all very strong news for Tesla. I wouldn't be surprised to see it crack a thousand today, but I wouldn't be surprised to also see it rejected some profit taking. So I kind of have three trade ideas from an options perspective uh, on Tesla. And, you know, just to kind of give you the options data prior to today, Tesla had about 2.4 million calls out there and about 3 million puts. What does so that you're mean? Talking, that's the total number of options in the universe. So right. five and a half million options. Now, when we compare it to the activity on the day, 2.3 million options. So a five and a half million option stock. And in one day it transacts 
about 50% of that in one shot. That is absolutely enormous. You cannot not take, I mean, there's no, if you understand anything about options and you understand anything about options, volume, open interest and everything, you have to pay attention to this because the options that were transacted today, short dated, you know, whatever, November expiry, they're going to have a massive effect. You have just added 50% of the options in the known universe to Tesla in one day. That's absolutely insane. So there's a lot of people making bets on Tesla. Now, with that being said, I would like to kind of break down some of this and let me detach it. When you say there is more calls than puts, what does that tell you? Um, it depends on, you know, where they're at and what the ratio is. So right now we're seeing that here we can see right here. So 1.63 million calls today alone. That's absolutely enormous. And you're seeing about half of them, a little over half are in between the bid and the spread, but most of them are at the ass. That means people are paying the higher prices. They're not waiting for price to dip. They're chasing the price higher on that one there. So the majority of these options on the day are chasing the prices at the higher prices. People, some people are doing limit orders. They're getting it in between the market, but the majority of people that are buying either bid or ass, they're buying the ass. They're chasing it higher. They're happy to pay the more expensive price instead of looking for liquidity. They don't want to miss this run. So we just passed 2.3 million options. We only have 666,000 puts. So literally about three out of every four options trade on the day is calls. Now, if we look at kind of you know, where things are, this is the short dated. It's insane that there is 17,000 calls at the 750 strike. Maybe somebody's, yeah, I have to figure that one out. 16,000 here, but look at this 206,000. So 10% of all the options traded today are short dated this Friday at the 1000 strike. That's going to act as a liquidity magnet and try and pull prices to that. You can see it does drop off by 50% at 10.50, but there's still strong volume on the day above 1,000, 1,050, 1,100, 1,150, 1,200. So there's just a lot going on in Tesla right now, a lot of volume, and it's just got thick volume all the way down to 900. After that, it drops off. On the put side, you see a lot less interest. There are There is some puts around 900 to 990, but I'm willing to bet some of these are cash secure puts, meaning people think, hey, it's high on premium. I don't think it's getting down to 900 by the end of the week. So why don't I sell some 900 puts, cash secure puts? And as long as it closes above 900, I get to keep the full premium on that. That's what I think is happening. That on top of it helps bolster the stock price. So if I was to say sell 100 puts at the 900 strike for this Friday, the dealer is going to take the other side of that. They're long 100 puts, which means that their directional exposure is favored to the downside. But if the stock goes up, that means they start losing money. Those puts start decaying really rapidly. So what do they have to do to offset that exposure? They're going to get long stock. And so people selling cash secure puts actually helps fuel bullish runs in stocks. And so that's what we're seeing right now in Tesla. Crystal, you have let a me question, ask you I, this. Yeah, yes. let, let me let me ask this. Um, let let's can, can we can we try to outline a, maybe a, a covered call strategy here on Tesla? For, sure. But like like because I would imagine there are people out there that are long the stock and want to hedge that in some way. Yeah. 
So, okay. Well, first yeah. off, if somebody's long the stock, the only way to hedge that or try and reduce some of the risk on that, you can sell premium, which is cover calls, but you're going to need a hundred shares of that. And I would probably get speculate the majority of people listening to this podcast don't have a hundred shares of Tesla, but let's say they've accumulated over time and they do have it. Yeah. Well, then I would start looking at doing short dated weekly cover calls on this. And I would start looking at, let me detach that screen again. I close it out, but you brought me back into the fold. So there we are. Okay. So let's say you're long 900, you know, you got a hundred shares. You need a minimum of hundred shares of Tesla to sell at least one covered call because each option contract is for hundred shares. So where would I start looking? Well, you see that the volume really starts to taper off right around 1200. It literally goes from like 31,000 options to 3,900. It's like a 90% drop off in the volume there. That kind of tells me at least right now, at least based upon the options today, that there isn't a whole lot of fuel beyond 1200 for this to rip that much higher. And even right now, probability in the money is super low, 2.58%. Tesla does have that kind of mania about it and hype around it. So it's always a possibility. It could do that. It did $90 today, four more days of this, and there it's at $1,200. But if I was long Tesla at $900, I personally would probably be selling the calls right around here, $1,225. The best time to be selling covered calls is when the stock is ripping because those calls have more value. Calls get right. charged. They get energized when the stock is ripping. So today is an excellent day to be selling covered calls, but I would be looking that far out. Okay, so okay, for, forget the cover calls. Then let's talk about other ways, because I imagine there's a lot of people out there that that maybe not some people out there, in addition to the ones that are chasing, are already long, mm-hmm. and and are trying to figure out their exit plan here, whether it's like a stop or at the, or maybe even a hedge of some kind. So like, what, I I feel like we need to talk about how to hedge around your Tesla. Sure. So. Why don't we just take a default scenario and yeah. say, you know, somebody's let's just let's take two scenarios. Somebody's long at 900 and then somebody's long at 800. To yeah. be honest, if you're long at 800, I think the chances of you getting down to 800 by the end of the week are incredibly slim. Like right now, the options market is pricing in an 800 put at 2%. So this is a very low probability event. So I think the person long at 800, they don't have much to worry about. They don't have really anything to worry about, but there's no reason why they shouldn't be selling calls right now because the stock has ripped so much. You'd want to sell that premium now. If you're going to sell calls, you want to sell when it rips. That's when the IV is really high. That's when these calls are worth a lot. If you're worried about put protection, you know, like maybe I should get long some puts on this. I really feel like now that Tesla is cleared out, this you know, all time highs that I feel like now Tesla is going to, and this is the wrong chart. I feel like Tesla now has a base of support between say 872. And if you go really low on that 800, I think Tesla is now very well supported on this. So you are noticing that the stud, the weekly volume hasn't been huge lately. A lot of this is being driven by options. You know, a lot of these price gains are being driven by options. Half a million options trade on the day. I mean, look at the volume. The volume's 37 million. It is double the 10-day average. But 20 million shares is not going to 
you know, be responsible for a massive rip. What is responsible? Yeah, can, can, can you go back to the options? Can you go back to the options chain? Can we just look at some of those volume numbers again? Yes. Okay, I'm just going to keep this thing I, on the side here. I, I, I think that bears repeating. Yeah. So let me uh, just kind of mention it here and I can close it down like this. We are now at 2.32 million options. One day alone. That is absolutely insane to have, you know, a stock that prior to today had three or 5.4 million options in the entire universe across all strikes. So that's going out to 23 all the way down to 24 across all these strikes. You had 5.4 million options in one day. We add another 50% of that alone. That is absolutely huge. I, for a stock with a million plus options in the universe, I've probably only seen one or two times on the year where they've added 50% of the options in one day. That's, that's how few at times this has happened. Then you could have some gamma squeezes, GME and AMC, those meme stocks and stuff like that. Maybe, but not on a stock that is not like Mimi in that sense that has legitimate news, a legitimate catalyst is breaking technical levels. Like this is, this is this is some of the strongest option flows I've seen in Tesla in the year. This might be the oh, biggest well, option oh, in Tesla okay, in the year. But but if what you're saying, I mean, if, if we're looking at the volume here, I mean, Tesla is meme. Is it For fair sure. to say? Is it fair to say then that this has the elements of a gamma squeeze? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, first off, you know, if you think about the stock volume alone, it's only two times the ten day average. We've seen a lot of gamma squeezes this year where they would be 10 times the 10-day average. So the stock volume, again, an extra 20 million shares, 40 million shares of Tesla is by in and of itself not going to rip you know, Tesla up 10%, up almost $100 on the day. When you start to see the level of options that have been traded today alone, this is the volume section right here. So this is all the volume. I mean, you see insane amounts it strikes that are like so far away. It's shocking that people would even buy them. But then all of a sudden at one strike to see 10% of the options traded at one strike. Yeah. I've never, I haven't seen that either. I have not seen that either in, in like one day that it's produced so many options and all of it's at one strike. Usually it's spread out over a cluster of strikes with like a really strong strike. And it's usually like kind of like a bell curve. Like usually it's like this bell curve and it kind of, has an average and kind of flattens out like this. Right. But that's right, not right. what we're seeing here. You know, you look at the volume, it's kind of like this, 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 and then one strike stands out <laughs> like that. So yeah. bad drawing there, probably, but yeah, you know. So no, 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 know, but, with the, but, but the point stands. The uh, the point stands. Shoot, it was and here was the question. prior open interest. This was prior to today. So the open interest has increased by 10x. That's that's prior to today. So this is going to with such so, wait, so so eight so eighteen thousand. What and add, now it's now they've added two hundred ten eight two hundred eight two hundred ten thousand options. Insane thousand at the one thousand, and now we're at two hundred eight thousand. Oh man, it's huge! It's absolutely yeah, huge. Again, I've never seen that. I've never seen that before. And so you know this this many options is just going to act. It, it's it's a liquidity magnet. It's going to pull price to it. That's why you've seen on the day, it's not surprising. Yeah, it's a round number, but it's not surprising that Tesla has, you know, pulled right up to this. And you can see it's just pinning against this because there is so much liquidity against that. 
that became the pin of the day, so to say. When you have that many options, it's going to pin prices or attract prices to that. And then usually it consolidates for a little bit. That's why SPX hasn't gone anywhere for like several days because it keeps pinning around 45.50. You know, it, it had a four and a half percent rip in one week or three days. And then it just kind of stuck where it was, you know, with very small consolidations because the largest amount of strikes and options are at that particular strike. With a thousand, it's yeah. not surprising to see this consolidate within twelve dollars, you know, above that. That's a super tight range on the on the one minute chart. Super tight. See, th- th- this is this is exhibit A's. As far, you know, we talk about stocks all day, but you know, the options market can provide you a, a, a huge clue as to a price that might act as a magnet, or you know, what maybe what is really driving this move, uh, you know, today. So. So uh, great stuff, Chris. Uh, so a thousand dollars is our magnet. Uh, I mean, we almost—I don't know where we're at right now. We're, we're at what? Nine eighty-four. Nine. Okay, so we're well off the high of the day, but we were—we were right there. We were at nine ninety-eight for a hot second there. So, so that's the bogey. That's the number everyone's watching. Obviously, there are sell orders lined up at a thousand. Um, but so, how else would you play this now? Right now, I feel like we got to kind of let the options um, play themselves out. But I have some short-term ideas. You know, for okay. me, short-term, it's so far, the, the VWAP has held pretty nicely. You nice. see that there is this, let me show you in the one minute, this nice corrective pullback. Sadly, I was taking care of a technical issue when this was happening. It really pissed me off. But this is a corrective structure. So you look at that. This is impulsive. We talk about this all the time, impulsive and corrective it's all about understanding what's going on in the dominant order flow in the environment. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a fundamental trader, technical trader, sentiment trader. It doesn't matter. We all have to make a buying and a selling decision. That's the one place where we all come together. And it's those flows that drive the market. It's the most proximate driver price section. So this impulsive move here means huge imbalance to the buy side here. But then look what happens. I mean, this impulsive move is from Pacific time, 703 till 727. Well, then over the next hour, it corrects half of that. So that means that, it, you know, if this if this was impulsive, it would get down faster. But it wasn't. It was taking time, means profit taking, digesting gains, literally touches VWAP and then takes off. Could we get another touch of VWAP on the day? I think it's certainly a possibility. And I wouldn't be surprised to see dip buyers come in and buy off the session VWAP. We've been above it since 7-Eleven this morning. So day traders in terms of options, consider a VWAP touch. What are you going to want to see? Good. That's good. Kind of what you see right here. Shortly after hitting VWAP, big volume surge. Also on the prior breakout, big volume surge, leading it, volume increasing leading up to it, then expands huge into the extension here. So what would you want to see? Volume kind of taper off, another corrective move into the VWAP. And then shortly after touching VWAP, you're going to want to see volume pick up. So you, you know, it's, it's almost like everyone's looking at the same indicators. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> any serious stock trader is always looking at VWAP. There's no, I yeah. don't know of a serious stock trader that's not looking at VWAP, whether it's yeah. session VWAP or anchored VWAP on higher time frames. If you're trading, you know, intraday or anything like that, you have to be watching the session VWAP. It's, it's, uh, well, in uh, our course, it's a standard indicator we force, or not force, but we tell our traders you have to use this indicator. Uh, who Kimberly asked in the chat how to find the total volume for, for you know, options at, at, at a given strike. She was looking for the five million uh, number. Um, so it, it, Chris was in his thinkorswim platform. And if you go to the 
active trader, at least on Tinker Swim, it's the active trader trade. tab. Or yeah. trade, right. And then um, here, let's pull it up for a second. And you can go, you can look at the volume for every strike. The volume so for every you, strike. Yeah. Think right? or Swim is great for this. This will yes, tell you the so volume on the day. This will tell you the, the open interest prior to today. Wait, wait, real fast. Explain open interest. So open interest is already all the options that are already out there in the universe on it. Okay. That's that's what's out there. So that's all the options that are out there. And so you're seeing, you know, especially around this strike, this is what's so unique. Prior to today, only 18,000 options. We increased that by 10x in one day. Absolutely insane. Now, someone, I think she was asking, and let me pull up the chatter. She was asking like, hey, how do you get access to the total options in the universe? So all options data is collected and published by Oprah, O-P-R-A. You can sign up for a subscription to them, but it's a very long contract. It's expensive. Um, you know, we have special tools that help us coagulate that data and then give us that information as a whole. Um, if you don't have, you know, the money and the hundreds or thousands of dollars a month to spend on that subscription, then I do believe there's a website out there that I just shared with my members recently. It's called tradingvolatility.net. They do allow you to sign up for a subscription, but here's the thing about it. Unless you are a relatively sophisticated options trader, this information will make it actually harder for you to trade. Anything that's above your pay grade just makes trading more complex and you won't be able to digest that information. So my recommendation is don't sign up for a service like that until you have a really strong pay grade or skill level in options. Otherwise, too much information, you can't consolidate it. It'll create this kind of analysis paralysis. Oh, but I want to buy here. The technical level looks great, but there's, there's 3 million so options many, here and things like that. There's, there's so, so much things. information. Yeah, you have to integrate it in slowly and you have to have the skill level to integrate that in. It's taken me probably two years of like hardcore option study, like 50 options books, hundreds of options videos, like five hours a day for two years straight, just studying options. <sighs> on yeah. multiple levels for me to get to this place to be like, yeah, I can look at this data and understand what's going on. Okay. Let, let's 20 minutes on Tesla's. I think enough here. Let, 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 let's move on to like one. Let's cover one other stock. Sure. Let's take let's take a look at a few. AMAT. Uh, this is someone that we, this is a stock that we've been tracking for a while. For those of you who don't know, AMAT um, industrial machinery, which kind of goes along well with the theme of infrastructure. So we feel like this corrective structure is going to break pretty soon. So we bought dips. Uh, we've been trading this on and off for a couple months now, but we just recently posted a trade for our members a couple days ago that, and let me show you. So we aim at sold off heavily from the top of that corrective structure. And we sold the cash secure puts on this day while this thing was selling off impulsively. We sold the cash secure puts. The reason why we did that is cash secure puts are, you're basically saying, Hey, we sold the 135s. It's basically saying, hey, I don't think the stock's going to go below 135. So I'm going to sell these puts here. But if it does go below that and the puts get exercised, I'm long at 135. Well, I did that because I'm happy to be long at 135. And so I'll show kind of why in a little bit. But the reason why we sold it on this day is because those puts, calls get charged when the market ramps up, puts get charged when the market sells off. So those puts on Friday were worth a lot because they were charged. And so we sold the 135 cash secure puts on that. And so if AMAT, you know, closes above 135, we get to keep all the premium. If it closes below that and those puts get exercised, we're long at 135. 
and I'm happy to be long at 135. And the strategy I'm thinking is this. It's very straightforward. We are inside of a very large range, which we showed on the weekly chart. This is kind of the middle of that. And I think it could pull back into this. Let me put the, this here. You know, hit this. And I think it could pull back into this and use this as a base to climb higher and attack and eventually break out. If I'm wrong, no big deal. I keep the premium. I'm long at 135. And then I'll rebuy down here. And then I'll sell more premium again on this. So I'll rebuy down here at 126, 125, which is the base of this weekly corrective structure that we've been in forever. This is the base right around here. I'll buy it again at 135, let it ramp up, then sell more calls above that and collect premium on my long 125s. Meanwhile, the 135s recover. I've made the money back on the capital appreciation plus the premium I've collected on that. So I believe AMED is eventually going to break to the upside of this. And so, yeah, I still think that's actually a viable play. I don't think you're going to get as much premium as you would have on Friday, but we sold it for the October 29th, this Friday expiry. So if somebody believes in AMAT and they want to get long, that's a potential trade opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, we're on with Chris Capri. Second Sky is trading. I'm, I'm going to put the link up on the screen here right now. Uh, it's secondskiesforex.com is the URL. Uh, Chris, is that's correct? Yeah. You can go to Second Skies Trading, secondskies.com at all points of the same domain. So, yeah. It all points to the same place. Second Sky, yeah, that's we own it Second Skies Trading. They own everything. Uh, and he'll be joining us every Monday here uh, going forward at, at this time slot and to do this, this exact same thing. And, I mean, come on. I mean, Chris just dropped insane knowledge on how to approach a couple of stocks here from the options uh, market. And uh, I, I think at the very least, he is worth a thumbs up from you. If you haven't already done that. Uh, I hope so, so, so at this point, if I haven't yeah, earned the thumbs uh, up, man, then I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what any of us are doing here, Chris. Everyone, Chris, Chris Capri, Seconds Guys Trading. Hey, Chris, have a good rest of your day. Have a good rest of your week. Uh, good luck trading these earnings. Good luck on your plays, your aim at, and uh, we'll find out how it went next Monday. Good seeing you, Spence. See you next week. All right. All right. Hey, guys, it's 2 o'clock just about. Time flies when you're having fun. Let us know what you think of our new format here. We've got our new studio. We're going two hours every day actually maybe even longer maybe even like two and a half hours starting earlier potentially maybe we'll see about that moon or bus coming up live right uh right now we got logan we got ryan uh lord only knows what those guys are going to talk about i bet something in the crypto space well that's a that's a good bet if i had you should take that you should go on DraftKings and bet that. Um, all right, Spencer. Well, it was fun. It was an exciting, exciting Monday. We'll be back tomorrow at who knows what time, maybe 11 a.m., maybe <laughs> noon, but uh, we'll see y'all tomorrow. Don't Smash know, man. Yeah, Moon or Bust Live right now. Uh, pre market prep at the close will be on at 3 15. Myself, Edwin Dorsey, Joel Elkanen. And uh, yeah, it's been a day. I'm going to go Ooh. get some food. Everyone, hit the like button. Please remember all the information from our show, from all of our shows, are meant to be used, is meant to be used as informational purposes only, not for investing or trading advice. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to Jake. Uh, thanks to Rick. Thanks to Ross. Thanks to Matt. Five guests. 
we got a lot done. What a day. What a day. What a day. We will be right, back man. tomorrow. This stream will redirect you to Moon or Bust automatically. You do not need to go anywhere. Just maybe click the button when it when it presents itself. And with that, Spencer, let's sign off and I'll see you tomorrow. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today.